So we're going to talk for the next several weeks. I think this is going to be about a seven-week series. You never know. I always leave it up to God. Uh, he's the author, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to be a pen in his hand. And uh, my story's not over. Your story's not over. If there's anything that we learn from the resurrection, it's just that. Nothing is ever too far gone for God to resurrect and to change and to turn around your story. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you chose to come to church today because every time that we give God something to work with, it's an opportunity for him to turn something around in our life and do a miracle in our life. Paul, or not Paul, in, in the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the disciples in the upper room, and now the church is birthed. They come out of that upper room and Peter preaches one of the greatest messages ever recorded. And the people says, what, what m must we do to be saved? And over 3,000 people on that first day of the church was born. This is what happens. This is the difference trying to do something within your own power and strength or within the power of the life-changing Holy Spirit's presence. And, uh, you know, I just, the more I live and the more I do this Christian life, the more I realize that we have to live in such dependence on the Holy Spirit because he is the source of life. And God is moving powerfully and he's starting to do miracles. And, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray one day and they're, they're literally going to church and they're bypassing this man who has a need. It's a great example of how as followers of Jesus, we could get so consumed on our own little worlds and, and what we're doing here that we fail to realize that there are people outside these walls while we're driving to church that need to know the hope that we have in Christ. And Peter and John are about to step over this man who's got a need and something in, in their spirit quickens them and they stop and they said, what do you want? And, and the guy is looking for some money, but they said, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give you, rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And they help the man up and he walks with them. It's actually a beautiful picture of what it's like to walk with other believers because it says that while Peter and John were continuing to walk, that the man held on to him. And sometimes we need each other to hold on to. Selah, man, that's just a bonus material right there. But um, let me tell you, um, as all this is happening in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, again, they start to speak to the crowd and they say this, and this is what stuck out to me when I was praying about God, what, what's the message series that you want to do and speak to our church post-Easter? And, and I started thinking about the different names of God. And there's so many amazing names, God. Emmanuel, right? God with us, Prince of Peace, uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the, He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He's, there, there's all these names for, for God. He's the Prince of Peace, right? But, but there was one, when I was reading the scripture that just popped out of the page. You ever have that happen? You're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, it just, bam, it hits you, you know, right there in your spirit. And I read this in Acts chapter 3, 15, I want to read it to you. You killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses to this. Come on, right now, you're here today because you're a witness of Jesus Christ, the author of life, being raised to life. And because he came to life, his story becomes our story, and we're raised to life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we're going to explore this person over the next several weeks who this person Jesus is, this author of life. Everything that he touched came to life. Everything. Words that he spoke, he said, the words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. He speaks words of life into people and people's lives were changed radically. Stories transformed. Everyone he touched received his life and through his life, people were healed, they were set free, they were delivered, they were saved. They were full of joy. They, they had peace where there was no peace. Come on, am I speaking to anybody this morning? That's why you're here. And that's why you came to church because you're running on fumes. You're feeling empty. But I got good news for you. We serve a God that is full of life. And he came to give you and me his life. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so today, 
on this first installment of this message series called Author of Life. I know we just celebrated the resurrection life of Jesus, and so we kind of started with the end of the story. And sometimes it's good, you know, you get the director's cut, you see the end of the story, and it kind of, you know, spoiler alert, uh, you know how the ending happens. But I think sometimes knowing how the ending happens can help you get through the other pieces of your life, right? Like think about if you knew, if you knew what you knew now, <laughs> what you didn't know then about your life. Like there were times in my life where I didn't think I was gonna make it. Like I thought I was done. I was wiped out. I thought something was gonna take me out. There's times where I thought I was gonna lose my business when I owned a business, lose my house, lose what I think is everything. But now that I look back and I know the end of the story, I could see that God was using every test in my life to create a testimony. He was using every setback as a setup for the story that he wanted to tell about my life and your life too. And so today we're gonna go backwards and we're gonna look at the very first miracle that Jesus ever did or is that recorded. And uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Um, thinking about this author of life, I love this. In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis argues that the way someone can know God is the same way that Hamlet would know Shakespeare. How exactly could Hamlet come to know Shakespeare? He's a mere character in Shakespeare's story. That sounds like a, a categorical error, right? But if Shakespeare and Hamlet could ever meet, it must be Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing. Uh, listen to this. And what would Shakespeare's initiative look like? Shakespeare could, in principle, make himself appear as author within the play. Indeed, this is what God has done for us. He has written himself into his play so that his creatures could know him. In Jesus' coming, we get to meet the author in a clearer way than ever before. As we watch the way Jesus lives, the way he serves, the way he teaches, we get to behold what God is truly like. And, and today, we're going to start out by seeing, this might surprise you, the greatest or the, the first miracle that Jesus ever did it isn't bringing somebody back to life. It isn't healing blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears. It's not curing leprosy. It's not stopping a bleeding woman. It's none of those things. It's not casting demons out of people, but it's turning water into wine at a wedding. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter two. We're gonna look at the account where Jesus changes water into wine. I want to read it to you at a NIV. It says this, on the third day, the third day, we just celebrated something about a third day, didn't we? On the third day, we'll get back to that later, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. That's interesting. Normally, you don't invite. You know, one of the things, uh, drawbacks to being a pastor I don't get invited to many parties anymore. I don't know why that, everybody say, oh. So I got to have my own party. <laughs> In verse three, and when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. In verse four, I love this. Jesus is funny. Woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> now kids, don't ever say that to your mom. You might get a little smack for that one. And husbands, believe me, I've tried this a couple times. Doesn't work too good. Woman, why do you involve me in their homework? The garbage got to go out. Woman, why do you involve me? That's why we got teenagers, right? <laughs> Woman, why? Amen. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said, I love, I love his mom. She just completely dismisses what he said. And she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars. Now, interesting. You know everything in the Bible has a purpose. Everything. God has got a detail. And six is the number of humanity. It's the number of trying to do things in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. We'll get that a little bit more later, too. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used 
by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That also had significance that these stone jars were used for ceremonial washing. It represents the old covenant. Now, Jesus, beginning his earthly ministry now, is, is, is showing us this. Actually, John calls this a sign. A sign points to something. It points to something behind it. Think about signs for a minute. When you came in today, you probably saw that behemoth planet called the Hope Church <laughs> billboard above Jags. And, and we do that so you can't miss it. <laughs> and because our, our church is kind of tucked back away from the road, but it's a sign and it says, turn here for hope. And, and a sign points you to something. It points you to a deeper need and it points you to go to the person who can fill that need. And so this is a sign, it's a miracle, but it's the first sign that Jesus points to himself as being the miracle working God that has the ability to fulfill all our needs. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had a little too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Come on, let's, can I talk to the older generation for a moment? You know, we live life and we get to that season of life where we think, you know, we're done, we're moving on, we're retiring. But let me tell you, God always saves the best for last. And that you're not done, <laughs> you're not retired, you're refired. And all your life experience, everything, your walk with Jesus is beautiful. And we need it. We need it. Just because the church is young and maybe God and we're doing things different than when you were younger, don't dismiss that God wants to use you in a powerful way in the next generation. That's just a side note. I believe that with all my heart. We value your generation. We need you. We need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. We need you to speak life and hope and counsel us. Give us your wisdom. The best, he saved the best till now. In verse 11, I love this. It's the final verse. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. God, make your word come alive to us today. Help us to see us in this story. But God, more importantly, give us the faith to notice our lack and where we need to come to you to be filled. God, we thank you that you love us so much and care about the details of our life. I pray that you would touch every person here, open every heart, open every mind to receive exactly what you have for them today. I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word and let it not be just good words that tickle our ears and we say yes and amen to, but help us to take your word and to put it into action in our life and to respond to it so that we can receive more of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. The title of our message to you today is Life of the Party. Life of the Party. Um, one of the things that strikes me about this passage and kind of blows me away a little bit is I think sometimes the way we see Jesus or the way we think we see Jesus or what Jesus looks like isn't always the reality of who Jesus is. In fact, we had an amazing time Thursday night. We had our pursuit night. We do that once a month here. It's a night where we gather together. We just worship. We go after God. We have a time of prayer together. We have time of ministry. It's actually an unplanned time. We approach every, every time we do it, we're just coming hungry for more of God, pursuing him, and we never know what he's going to do. And, and it's one of my favorite nights. I love it. But this past Thursday, we had a couple of special guests with us. We had House of Worship from Whitefish. Um, and then we had a worship team from Upper Room. And man, we had a great time together. It was so awesome. But what I loved about it is the worship leader from uh, Upper Room, his name is Jonathan Lewis. 
The night before he came here to lead us in worship, and then they were going on to Browning to do some ministry there, God gave him a dream. And in the dream, he saw this raging river and this chasm uh, between the, the river that the river was in the middle of, and there was a bridge that was going over the river, kind of like a wooden bridge, kind of like if you go out to Libby, if you've ever been out to that bridge, something like that. And he said that people were walking over it, but the bridge was getting too heavy because people were carrying burdens. They were carrying um, disappointments. And this is one thing he said that, that they were also carrying. He said they were carrying wrong ideas and beliefs about who God was and is. And I said, man, God help us. God, take away anything that's blocking us from seeing you for who you really are. And during this message series, I've been praying for you. I want you to know that. And our team's been praying for you. And one of the prayers in my heart is that the eyes of your heart would be open to see Jesus for who he really is. Because I think sometimes we, make, we, we complicate the Christian life and, and we make it so much harder than it really needs to be. And there's this religious spirit that is big, hairy, and ugly that wants to keep us bound, thinking that we've got to do all these things to please God. And I could just see Jesus just almost weeping over that thought, being like, no, 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 you missed it. I took care of all that on the cross. I paid the debt. What are you trying to pay a bill for that you don't know? And too many of us are stuck in religion when Jesus came to bring us life in a living relationship. If you didn't get anything out of my Easter message, I hope that you got the fact that post-resurrection, the very first thing that Jesus did because he cares about you and me so much is he didn't go to the famous, he didn't go to the rich, he didn't go to his known disciples, he chased down two disciples that were unknown unseen, unheard of, just to let you and me know that he cares about the unknown. He cares about those that we think, man, God doesn't know me. He doesn't see me. I don't know where he is. He's right by you. He's right beside you. He died to live in relationship with you. And I think it's time that we started seeing Jesus for who he really is. You know what I love most about this story? His very first miracle. He just takes some water when wine runs out and he makes more wine so the party can continue. And, and we don't get this because when, when I do a wedding ceremony, I talk for like 20 minutes and we have some nice music and in a half an hour the ceremony's over and then we have uh, some food and a little you know party and then it's over. In Jewish culture, a wedding party wasn't just that evening for a couple of hours or that day for a couple hours. It was a seven day long party. It wasn't just a party. It was a party. You know what I'm talking about? It was, it was a celebration of life. It was a, it was a feast. They, they had good food. They had good wine and they feasted. They had friends, they had family and they were celebrating. And Think about this for a minute. I think sometimes we think Jesus as this staunch religious man and, and some of the movies that depict him, I, I just look at him and be, oh man, you know, he's got the robe, he's serious, he's got a drawn face, he never smiles because he's so spiritual, right? He's so serious and he does the little curveball thing like, bless you. And he speaks in that Earl, Earl Jones voice, you know, like, bless you, my son. You know, like the Darth Vader voice, you know what I'm talking about. Is that his name, Earl Jones? Something like that, Earl something. James Earl Jones, yeah. And, and I think that's the way we look at Jesus, but let me, when I read the Bible, I hear about a Jesus that was known as a friend of sinners. I, I see a Jesus that sinners, people that thought this guy, they didn't think he's too religious for me. There was something about this man that they were drawn to. It says that even children love to be around him. Now, children don't come around Mr. Grumpy Pants, Jesus, right? Like children come around, happy Jesus, fun Jesus. Like when this guy walked down the street, there was something about his presence. He had a smile on his face. He was full of joy. He was full of life and everybody wanted to be around him. 
So much to the point that they invited him to the party. And guess what? He wasn't just at the party. He was the life of the party. He brought life to the party. And, and you know, it's interesting that wine um, in the Bible is a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of refreshment. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And man, I think too much of us, we're trying to do the Christian life, just grinding it out. You know, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pastor. Oh, yeah. You know, just living day to day, just getting through, just grinding it out, just making it. Me and my Bible and Jesus. And I'm like, and you look miserable. Like, that's not the life that Jesus died to give us. We should be the happiest people on earth. This should be like Disneyland. Come on, the church should be alive and full of life. It should be a celebration every week of the resurrection life of Jesus. Come on. We should be so full of hope and peace and joy. But if we're going to be honest with each other, that's not our reality, is it? Most of us are just getting by. We just make it to Sunday. Just give me a little Jesus juice. Just get by through the week. Just get my fill. Just sing the right songs. Get my fill just so I can make it to next Sunday. And we come into church and we're running on empty. What are you low on? What's running out in your life? Is it peace? Is it joy? What is it? Something is. And I love that we serve a God that our need becomes a seed of a miracle that gets planted in our spirit when we believe and put our faith in it. And so I want to show you this clip um, during this message series. We're going to take some clips because I think the Chosen series, how many of you have seen the Chosen? Amazing, 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 amazing. I love it. One of the things I love about it is that I believe it's the closest thing that I've ever seen that depicts the real heart of God and, and who Jesus, I think, was really like. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, I believe The Chosen does a really good job at following the biblical narrative, but just know they embellish the story. I mean, it's a story. They're trying to make it come alive. So, so don't knock it. Take it for what it is. It isn't the Bible. It's a depiction of the Bible trying to bring it to life to us. And here is a clip from The Wedding of Cana. Check it out. Join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day. Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. Fill these jars with water all the way to the brim. Why? You heard him. Start drawing water, quickly. Tell anyone you find to stop what they're doing and help. From the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. It's going to be like that sometimes, Thomas. What did you say? Do not rebuke you. It is good to ask questions, to seek understanding. There's no time for this. I know of a man like you in Capernaum, always counting, always measuring. That's my job. And that people will think I have not done well tonight. Join me, and I will show you a new way to count and measure. A different way of seeing time. Go with you where? I, I don't understand. 
keep watching. Masonry seems like harder work. <laughs> it isn't harder, it's just more uh, final. If the smith wants to change the horseshoe or the plowshare or the pot hook, he has only to put the iron back into the fire and reshape it to fit his designs. Therefore, the Everyone, please step outside. Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. I'm ready, Father. Stop the music! Stop the music! Everyone, listen! I have something I would like to say. I would like to address the bridegroom and the bride families. At every wedding I've ever overseen, they serve the best wine first. And then, when the people have drunk freely, much later in the feast, they serve the poorer wine, the cheap stuff. <laughs> because by then, who is going to notice? <laughs> Am I right? But you, you have chosen now to serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. Wedding of Asher, son of Rafi and Dinah, to Sarah, daughter of Abner and Hila, be as pure and as fruitful as this wine. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. To Asher and Sarah! That, don't you? So, so good. He's the life of the party. When I read this, there's a couple of things that really the Holy Spirit stood out to me that I have for you. The first one is this. Jesus turns your emptiness into fullness when you turn to him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus turns your emptiness into fullness when you turn to him. What struck me about this is Mary knew, right? Mary, did you know? Yes, yeah, she knew. She knew. She knew where to turn to when the rubber meets the road right? When the wine ran out, look, she said, she said, listen, the wine ran out. Where do you turn to when you're running on empty? I, I think too many times, if we're going to be honest with each other, we turn to other things than Jesus. We turn to cheap substitutes. 
We go pull up to the town pump and go in and get some cheap wine in a box when Jesus is saving the best for last. And so when Mary, when the wine ran out, she knew where to go. She knew who to turn to. And let me tell you that for us, as followers of Jesus, we got to start turning to Jesus and let him take our emptiness and make us full of his life, of his peace, of his joy. Jesus would say in John 10.10, he would say that we have a thief, somebody who wants to rob, steal, kill, and destroy the life that God came to offer, that Jesus offers us. Jesus would say of himself, and I love this, I have come that they may have life. And did he say that a measure of life, a little bit of life, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy? Yeah, a little bit of all that? No. He said, I've come that you may have life, and I don't want you to just have any life. I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to have a full life. I want your life to be so full of me that it overflows and it spills out on the people around you. That when you go to work, that you've got more life than you need, that it's spilling out on your coworkers. When you go to school, it's rubbing off on your classmates. That in your neighborhood, they, man, it spills out into your neighborhood, into the community, into the valley, into this valley is full of the life of Jesus. But what's stopping you? I believe that we have this real enemy of our soul and there's a couple of things that I believe are stopping us from coming to Jesus. The first one is this, comparison. Comparison. In our day and age of social media, I wonder how many of us are so infatuated with other people's life that we're missing out on the life that Jesus is offering right now. That we're so busy comparing other people and what they have that the enemy is using it in our life to make us focus on what we don't have. And we're looking at our lack when Jesus says, I've got the supply. If you would just look to me, I would give you what you need. But you're so busy looking at everybody else and what they got that you're missing out on what I've already given you. Man, I'll tell you what, so many of us, we're, we, in comparison, this is what it will do. It will make you ungrateful for what you have. And let me tell you, one of the greatest thieves of joy is, is, I wanted to say disgratitude. I don't even know if that's a word. But I've been known to make up words before, so I think there's a dictionary for Pastor Lance somewhere. But, but when we're ungrateful, it breeds a lack of joy. We become dissatisfied. And we're missing out I could get so focused on what God isn't doing in my life that I can miss what God is doing, right? Even last week, y'all don't know, man, um, you know, we were pretty tired after a long Easter weekend. And on Tuesday, we had our staff meeting. And on our staff meeting, we go around and we share wins. We share things that God is doing in each of our areas of ministry. And, And as people started going around and sharing, oh my gosh, man, there are people watching online from other countries and other places that, that God is touching their life. Even one that lives in Canada that actually wants to drive down to our church in Eureka to get baptized. From Canada, like lives four hours away across the border and is gonna drive down to our church in Eureka just to get baptized because they got, their life got turned around by Jesus. And like I'm hearing all these stories, heard about this, this little kid who was gonna get checked into kids church and he was crying and he didn't want to go into kids church. He said, I'm not going in. His mom was trying to convince him, just go, it's going to be okay. And in our awesome kids team, they were like, come on, we're going to have a good time. It's going to be awesome. They convinced him to come into kids church. Well, guess what? That kid gave his life to Jesus in kids church. And when he left here, he told his mom, can we come back next week? I had such a good time. I can't wait to go back again. And you can miss those things because you're so focused on what you don't see. But faith, now faith, now in the present, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things I don't see, right? 
Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the very word of God. And so when you hear a testimony, when you hear this story, it should stir your faith to put your trust in Jesus that if God did it for them, he could do it for you. And guess what? This story, you know, another thing I love about this story, it reminds me that God cares about the details of your life. It's not just the big things. How many of us are praying for the big things and we forget that God cares about the details? He's in the details, not just in the the big miracles. He's in the small ones, the everyday details of our life. My Bible says that we don't have because we don't ask. And that if we would stop being anxious about everything and start to pray about everything. I was just talking to a a guy that um, uh, has become a friend of mine that I've been counseling and trying to to help him because he's been struggling with some things. And uh, we met this past week and I didn't know this. I prayed for him and I was encouraging him to take some things to the Lord when he finds himself getting stressed or whatever. And so he sends me an email yesterday and he said, man, um, I had such a hard day. It was a really, it was a really tough day. And, um, and I did what you said. I sat, I prayed and I gave it to God. And all of a sudden things started shifting. My day started, you ever have one of those days? Like it's just one of those days. And all of a sudden things started changing and shifting. He said, by the day, end of the day, God took care of everything I was worried about. It was done. But we got to trust him. And we got to stop comparing and looking at other people's lives and what God is doing and look at what God is doing in ours. The second thing is we got to let go of control. Man, we, we just want to control everything, don't we? We want to control our kids. We want to control our life. We want to control our church. We, we, want to, um, we, want to, we want to be in control. But let me tell you, our need to be in control is stopping us from allowing God's life to flow through us and allowing his miracle working power in us because we're trying to control our situation and our circumstances and we're leaving God out of the equation. We're controlling it. This is, this is a problem that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God said, you're free to eat out of any tree and every tree in this garden will give you life. But it wasn't good enough. Why? Not because they weren't getting fed, not because they weren't experiencing life, but because they wanted to have life on their terms apart from God telling them what they could and couldn't do. So they took it into their own hands and said, eh, I'm going to eat off the tree I want to eat off of. And how many of us are doing that with our life? We're controlling what we do for work. We're controlling uh, where we live and who our friends are and what relationships we're in, what church we go to. And if we would just surrender and give God full editorial control over the story of our life and put that pen in his hand and watch the story that God can write with your life when you give him control. The third thing is this, and and I love that scene because it touched on it, is, is calculating stops us from coming to Jesus. We're so busy doing our T-charts and figuring out the pros and cons before we make a decision and calculating in our minds, uh, I, I don't know how God could change this situation. I don't even know who God is. I'm trying, to figure, I'm trying to figure him out and if the resurrection is real and if Noah's Ark really was real and dinosaurs lived in. Listen, you can't figure it all out. Stop trying to calculate. And trust him. That's the essence of faith. Some of us need to just stop trying to figure it all out in our minds and trust God with our life. The last thing that I believe that stops us is this, is condemnation. Woo! Actually, I only had the first three. And then while we were praying this morning, it hit me. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know, you forgot one. And I said, what's that? He said, My people don't come to me because they're so ridden with shame and guilt and condemnation because they don't understand the finished work of the cross and what grace really means. And that if they did, they would come to me because they would know, now therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, Christ did, did, done, finished. You're trying to stop trying to pay a debt that's already paid for. 
And oftentimes we don't come to Jesus because we feel like I'm not worthy. <gasps> Join the club. There's a long line, okay, to get in. <laughs> and I love what Jesus says in, in that depiction of that clip. He says, Join me and I'll teach you a new way to count. Right? We need a new way to count. Paul said it like this count your sin as dead. It's nailed to the cross. It's finished. It's paid for. We need a new way to count. And we just got to come. Look at Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Listen, he said, after he pleaded with God three times, hey, take away my weakness. Take it away. I, I, I don't want it anymore. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what that word grace means? It's the Greek word charis. It means a gift. It means that, that you and I have been given this supernatural empowerment to live full of the life of Jesus, and that gift is free. It won't cost you anything. Now, it's not cheap, mind you. It costs Jesus everything. But for you and me, it's a gift, and only prerequisite is you got to receive it by faith. But when you receive it by faith, God wants to teach you, stop running to other things. I know I'm spitting, I'm pretty excited. But, but stop running to other things, and I want you to learn to lean into my grace. Lean into my power. Because it's sufficient. In other words, it's all you need. And if you would just get this, you wouldn't run anywhere else. Because when you come to Jesus with your weakness, he turns your weakness into strength. Paul said, now, I, I've learned, now that I've learned this, I boast about my weakness. I talk about it freely. Why? I'm not encumbered by my weaknesses anymore. I don't try to hide behind a mask. I don't, I don't come pretending I'm, I'm perfect. I boast about it. Because I realize that in my weakness, therein lies the power source of life that I can come to Jesus and he will give me his life and his power. I delight in him. I delight in weakness, persecution, all those things. They don't bother me anymore for when I'm weak, then I am strong. That's what he says. And he goes on to say this. I'm sorry, I'm all messed up. I get, I get so excited. I, I'm just gonna give you, for the sake of time, just a few last thoughts. When I, when I look at this story, one of the things that struck me is the obedience that it took in the middle of not understanding how it was making sense to fill up water jars when you need wine. <laughs> look, Mary said to them, he told, she told the servants, do what he tells you to do. Man, we make Christianity so complicated. Man, I think it really boils down to this. Do what he tells you to do. Some of us are stuck. We're running on empty. And maybe we don't have what Jesus is offering because we're not willing to do what he's told us to do. It's not complicated. It's in the book. You understand that the author of life authored the book of life. And everything that we need for life is in the book. He's already told us what to do. Our problem isn't that we know what to do. It's that we're not doing what we know to do. And Mary knew, it. hey, do what he tells you to do. If you just do what he tells you to do, everything's going to be all right. I think there's a song about that somewhere. So here's my point to you. Give what you have and he'll turn what you have into what you need. Think about that. Jesus took something natural. Think about what was going through. The, put yourself in their shoes. You want us to put water in these stone pots? For what? We need wine. Not water. But Jesus, look, Jesus, he could have made wine out of thin air. He could have commanded wine to be in those pots, but he didn't. Why? Because he always invites us to participate in the miracle. He wants your trust. He wants your faith. And, and your faith is, I, I got to bring water? 
I don't know what that's going to do. Abraham, go to a place that I'm not telling you. You know, follow me. I'm not going to tell you where we're going, but I just want you to trust me. If you give him what you have, he'll take what you have and give you what you need. They needed wine, but he asked them to fill it up with water. See, Jesus will never ask you for anything you don't already have. Think about that. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of Elijah and a widow. And, and the widow was complaining to Elijah because uh, the creditors were gonna come and take her sons and take her house. And Elijah looks at her and says, stop looking at what you can lose and look at what you have. And she, he says to her, what do you have in your house? And her first response is, I don't have anything. Wait, except a little bit of oil. And he says, I want you to take the little bit of oil and I want you to pour it out. And when you do, you're gonna need some extra jars because as you pour out, God's gonna pour back in. Come on, somebody. As you pour out what you have, God's gonna pour in what you need. All he asks is that you give him, man. This is all over the Bible. Give and it shall be given unto you. How? Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Listen, but here, listen to this. The measure that you give, it will be measured to you. The Holy Spirit told me to tell somebody, stop measuring your surrender. There's another story in Ezekiel chapter 47 where there's this river of life. There's the prophet Ezekiel. God gives him this incredible vision of this river and the river brings life to whatever it touches, just like Jesus. And on the banks of the river, there's beautiful trees and fruit trees and, and they're blossoming and there's beautiful fruit from it. And then as the water goes out, it turns salt water into fresh water and there's teams of fishes and everything brings life to it. But he sees a man measure out 10 cubits and he puts sticks his feet in the water because he wants to be in control and he calculates another 10 meters and he gets in up to his knees and he calculates a little bit more and he gets in up to his waist until he finally surrenders control and as he gets in the water the river takes him wherever the river takes them, he takes them to life. Man, I don't know how many of you are here today and you need some life. In closing, probably my favorite thing about this, the first miracle that Jesus did, reminds me, this is the first, and at the Last Supper, he would take the cup, said, this is the cup of my blood, it's the new covenant. Every time you drink this, remember me. And wine, one of the symbolisms of wine is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would promise them, listen, I'm gonna be killed, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be crucified, I'm gonna rise again, and I'm gonna send to heaven, but I won't leave you as orphans, I'm gonna send you a helper. I'm gonna send you this gift, the Holy Spirit, who will be my life inside of you. And in the book of Acts, it says that they were baptized, they were filled. That word in the Greek is baptizo, it means to be filled to the rim. Jesus told them, don't stop, don't measure the water halfway, not a quarter, not three quarters. I want you to fill it to the full because I've come to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Come on, I think if there's anything the church needs now, it's we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We got to get back to some old-fashioned Holy Ghost meetings where the Spirit of God is moving on people and making them come alive again. And the altars get full because people, the Spirit of God is drawing them and they're convicted that I, I need this life that Jesus offered. I can't live this way anymore. There's so much better on the other side because let me tell you, Paul in 2 Corinthians would say, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-encompassing power is from God and not from us. 
Augustine would say, God fills empty hands. As we close, I just, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for us. I just so, I I told the prayer team, I said, I I want you to get ready because I believe that there's going to be some people that are running on empty, but the life has run out. And if we're not careful, we could go through the motions of doing this. We could get stuck in this religious religiosity and going through the motions of life, but not really experiencing the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want us to just close our eyes for a moment. First, I want to ask for those people who are here today. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that this Jesus cares about the details of your life. And he came to give you life, but you've been running from it. And it's no accident that God brought you here today to hear this message because he wants your heart. He wants all of you. And if you would just let go of control of your life and say, God, I'm surrendering all, he would come into your life and make all things new. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just say, Pastor Lance, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Maybe you're here and one time you you walked with Jesus, but you've walked away from that relationship. And today is the day you say, man, I'm coming back. I need the life. If that's you, just slip your hand up. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus. If you're here hearing this message online, you could respond in the chat. We have our online moderator. would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let me ask you this question. How many of you want more of the life of God? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't want to just have a little measure of the Holy Spirit. You want to fill with the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'm going to invite our prayer team to just come up here to the front as we close. I want to pray for you, and I want to invite you to respond to the message. Part of what the Holy Spirit does is He convicts us, and He urges us to move on what he's speaking to us. And so this is your moment. Listen, this is where your story can change. When you surrender and you empty yourself, say, God, just fill me. Come on, lift your hands to heaven right now. Father, I pray that you would come in power. Holy Spirit, come right now. Fill your people once again. God, they're hurting. Some are confused. Some are doubting. Help us, even in our unbelief. Right now, I bind up every spirit that would try to distract us or take away from what you're wanting to do. Fear of man, you have no place here. 